morning, everybody. Everybody, welcome to uh, Connect. You guys ready to get going today? I told Deej that was one of the best worship segments ever. That was so awesome. Was that incredible? Can you give it up for the worship team? Oh, my gosh. I said, let's go home. I, I can't. I'm done. Let's just go. That was awesome. There's nothing else to be done. That was incredible. Incredible. A uh, couple quick things, and then I'm going to get into it. If you don't know who I am, first of all, welcome. Um, let me uh, just give a little uh, background on all this. Um, we're doing a series, um, Dynasty, and basically the, the whole premise of the series, the genesis of the series is that, um, that God wants us to live life to the full, to the max, abundantly blessed. The word blessed really is translated happy. Blessed equals happy. And so uh, there's a show on television that I don't endorse everything that they stand for, but there are things that they, um, that they, that they model and things that they um, display that are very uh, happy. They're very fun and very life-giving. Um, there are certain family values. There are certain uh, practices that um, I, I, I would encourage and I would adopt. And so we're just kind of highlighting some of those and, and just leveraging culture. Jesus, if he was here today, um, he, he, of course, in the, in the New Testament, he would always tell stories and he would use parables to instruct people in truth. And I think he would use movies and TV and, and all kinds of things that we, he would just use it as a tool. Culture is not something that necessarily has to corrupt us. It's something that can kind of promote instruction. Amen. And so that's all we're doing is just leveraging that to kind of communicate certain truths. And the, the big idea is that, you know, God wants us to, to, to have relation, build relationships that, that are a blast and that last. And so we're going to emphasize more of building a relationship that lasts today in uh, kind of a message I'm going to entitle Reality Check in just a second. But before I get to that, you can get your worship guides out. You can follow on version if you want. Uh, you just put in our Connect um, name or, or zip code, and, and you can just pull that all up on your phone if you like, if you'd like, and it's all in there, or you can do it in your worship guide. We're going to be speaking from Luke chapter 14. For those of you who are kind of the hardcore, carry, carry your Bibles. That's awesome. Um, but quick plugs. One is uh, Easter's coming up. Everybody say Easter. Easter. And so it's coming like a hurricane. We're getting prepared for that. We're, our focus is to have a service fit for a king. We're going to emphasize a risen Lord, that song last that we just sang. We will sing that on Easter Sunday. And uh, I just want you to know that um, we're preparing for that. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, um, you know, you can do, we, we, there's, a, there's a part that we do as a church to prepare for it in terms of um, facilities, in terms of promotion and things like that. But uh, I'm just asking you guys to reach out to your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. You're going to get the best and highest opportunity to hear a yes when you invite them to church. And first of all, how many of you are proud of your church? You feel comfortable and confident in your church, okay? Everybody that didn't raise your hand, I'm just going to pray for you. Maybe you're still thinking about it, checking us out. That's okay. Um, but, but if you do, you know, anything that you love, you know, it shows, but anything that you love also you give away. Christianity is like breathing. You take it in, and then you, you got to exhale it. You got to give it away. If you just take it all in and you don't exhale it, you blow up and you get weird. You're like one of them balloons just kind of taking off into the sky, you know, and you just get weird. So uh, it's really important to give it away. So I encourage you guys to, to uh, use the resources that we will be uh, sending your way. One of those is available today, as you saw in Connect News, the tickets. Please get your tickets. Um, prepare to invite people. That would be a big help. For those of you who call this your church home, um, I have a really timely message that's kind of a precursor to Easter that I want to share with you at Sunday Night Live tonight. And so if, you, if you've got the bandwidth for it and the margin for it and you really want to get kind of pumped up, come out tonight and uh, let's talk at SNL at 5.30. Amen? All right. So anyway, um, this whole idea of relationships, I just want to... Uh, I'm just going to start with a video, um, and I'm going to let you see Phil, uh, another philosophy of uh, marriage and relationships. I think you guys will enjoy this, so you can just drop the lights, and let's just see what Phil has to say about marriage and relationships. Folks, I'm Phil Robertson, and I hunt ducks for a living. I have a God-given right to pursue happiness. My idea of happiness is killing things, skinning them, plucking them, have a big meal, all your children, your grandchildren gather around, and we eat that. Yuppie girls wouldn't like it. Don't marry some yuppie girl. Find you a meek, gentle, kind-spirited country girl. If she knows how to cook, and she carries her Bible and lives by it, and she loves to eat bullfrogs, now there's a woman. 
must be the first prerequisite for a man and a woman. Can she cook? And if that doesn't stack up, adios amigos. And she doesn't have to be a pretty girl. It's hard to get a pretty one to cook and carry a Bible anymore. You're gonna be there for 50 years and you don't even know whether she can cook or not? What kind of thinking is that? Well, we'll just live off love. Not really, you'll starve to death. <laughs> Come on, turn your neighbor and say, that's good. Phil, he's smart, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how my wife and I made it in the beginning because neither one of us could cook in the beginning, but we figured it out. We had hamburger helper and tuna sandwiches to get by, but praise the Lord, my wife's learned how to cook, and uh, I've benefited greatly. Um, what I want to do is I want to I talk to you about, uh, I'm going to specifically target the marriage relationship today. And what happens as soon as I say something like that, there's an immediate, okay, you know, that's not for me. And what's funny to me is that when I speak about this subject, whether you are married or not, divorced, single, whatever, I, I find it interesting that there's sometimes a resistance to that because 90% of Americans still want to be married. And it's, there, a recent study has revealed that. And so it's a good topic for a whole lot of people. And so if you're divorced, well, then you get a chance to kind of, you know, learn from this and, 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 and heal and get whole so that when you go into a new relationship, if you choose to do so, and most people would like to do so, you're, you're healthy and you're whole because of what you're learning. And then if you want to get married, then this is, this is preparation. This is just kind of uh, food for f- fodder or whatever you want to call it. It's, 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 it's getting the soil fertile and ready for a relationship to be successful in preparation. And, and if you're married already and you're currently in a relationship, then this can refresh and reboot your marriage and help you with some new skills. Amen? And so I want to give you a faith formula. I don't usually say something like that on, to help you succeed in marriage. I have a tremendous amount of content. I may even break this into two pieces depending on how today goes. And sometimes I get on a roll and a bunch of stuff comes to me. When I talk about relationships, some of you have been, been under my ministry for any length of time. This is kind of a, I, I don't know how to say this without, it's unqualified. This is a sweet spot for me, okay? So a lot of stuff will just start coming. And so this is a great time to take a lot of notes, Okay, are you, everybody ready for that? Can, are you ready to be a student today? Okay, so here, here's the big idea, all right? Um, if you have good biblical relationship skills, plus, and this is the emphasis today, realistic expectations, plus realistic expectations, it equals a successful marriage or a successful relationship. And a lot of people today are very cautious entering the, the marriage today because of the current trends. Um, in fact, marriage is at a, its, its all-time lowest success rate of 49.7% right now. In 1930, just so you know, it was at 83%. So there's been a tremendous trend away from or demise, you could say, of many marriages. And fewer adults are getting married than ever before. And more and more adults are living together more than ever before. And, and it's because there's so much anxiety and stress about whether or not it's going to work. So people go in with um, the uh, you know notions and ideas that this might not even this might not even make it, and it's it's the worst actually in you know um, thinking or the anxiety is actually the highest in our state, even though we actually have one of the lowest divorce rates in the union. And I'm not going to unpack why that statistic exists, but there's a lot of reasons for that that are not revealed in the statistic alone and. Oh, man, I have to resist going there right now. But if you, if you had a 50% chance getting on a plane of making it to your destination, you'd have a little bit of anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Turn your neighbors. He's pretty smart. That's pretty good thinking. 50% of marriages failing means a lot of people have anxiety about it. So, so, but the, now I want to make a contrasting point here right up front. Hear me strong on this. You have a 100% chance of success if two people will do it God's way. 100% chance if you, both of you will do it God's way. I know it for a fact. In God's way, it's not difficult. It's not mysterious. Uh, there, there, it, it, I didn't know a lot of things that I know now when I got married. Uh, a lot of things that I didn't know when I got married, especially in the early years. And, but I, I know a lot more now. And, and God's way is fair. It's understandable, and, and we can all do it. And so I want to encourage you with that. But, but this message is about getting a reality check. It's about realistic expectations about relationship. And, and the truth is, and this is in your notes, the truth is the number one reason for divorce is disappointment. 
The number one reason for divorce is disappointment. Most people think, actually, and I've even taught this, that money is the biggest cause of divorce, or, and some people say it would be communication, sex are the biggest causes for divorce, and those are majors, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying a root problem, deeper than that surface, because communication is, has heart issues, but communication is, is a skill, and so a lot of people have you know, um, they, they're unskilled couples in communication. They're unskilled in sex. They're unskilled in money. But a root issue for marriage problems is actually disappointment. Disappointment is the number one killer of a couple's love. And what the devil wants us to do is come into marriage, sometimes more than once. I've actually counseled a lady that was married 11 times. 11 times. She was not learning very much through those different experiences. And every single time she came in with rose-colored glasses. You know what I mean by that? You know, unrealistic expectations. And, and so her heart just kept getting broken and divided. She was really messed up. And, and sometimes it happens very quickly in the relationship, and sometimes, and more often, it happens more slowly and progressively, and we all have our expectations, and when those unmet expectations continue, then it kills the dynamic in the relationship, and the original design of the relationship has been stifled because of that. But God's way is actually to prepare us for reality. It's actually to prepare us for the truth, give us truth, and, and so we are aware and equipped right out of the gate. And so our key text is Luke chapter 14, and look at this. Um, Jesus has a multitude of people listening to him, as usual, and he spells, let me tell you something, he spells some tough out, some stuff out. He is like putting it out there. No candy coat, none of that, okay? So Luke 14, this is what he says in verse 25. I'll begin reading a couple verses at a time. He said, this says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said this, if anyone comes to me, check this out, and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoa, tell us how you really think, Jesus. You know, don't hold back, Okay. Now, just so you're clear, if you're a new believer or a pre-believer or you, you, or you just never quite got this as a believer, this is a comparative term. This is a comparative term. Okay, in other words, Jesus would never, doesn't want us to hate our families. He doesn't want you to hate your own self. And there's other scripture that you can see where that's the case. But he's basically, it's a comparative term. He's saying, if you're not willing to choose me above parents, mothers, sisters, brothers, even yourself, and your wife, there's gonna, if there's any competition between me and that and any other human being, basically, on this planet, don't even try to be a disciple. And, 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 if, and if what I say to you is not above what any other person would say or even, or even what any other person would try to convince you of, then just don't even try it. Don't even begin. Remember, he, he had this multitude following him, and this is what happens in churches a lot of times. There's a crowd, but there's not a church. And so he had a crowd of people following him, and he was looking for disciples from that crowd. He was looking for true followers from that crowd. He goes on, and he says, and he ups the ante. He says in verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross, everybody say carry their cross, and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus had not died on the cross yet. This was a term that was kind of, you know, it's a spiritual symbol uh, like it is, then, like it is to us. This cross was, it specifically references suffering or dying. And, and Jesus is basically saying, again, if you won't put me first above everything else and embrace some of the suffering and some of the pain, then, then don't even begin this journey. Say, Pastor, I don't like how this message is going so far. Just hang on, okay? All right? Verse 28 through 33-ish, uh, I'll, I'll read. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. He, he goes to another illustration. So he makes three points in this one segment of text about some of the realities of relationship with God, which also relate to relationship with each other. We can make a direct parallel between relationship with God translates into relationship with people because he never separates the vertical from the horizontal. So he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? That would be a, a good thing to circle or underline, estimating the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish? Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming at him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. Now let me wrap all this up for you, Jesus is saying. These three points. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. And this is what I love about Jesus, and you may not love him about this, but I love that he's a truth teller. He's a truth teller. He does not sell sizzle. You know, the devil, he, he oversells and, and underdelivers, and he's, he's the father of lies, and he's always baiting you with something that's not true, and then he does the bait and switch on you, and, and Jesus just lays it out. And I like that about him. In other words, he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, guys, you need to get your brain strapped on about really what's coming down the pike, and you need to, under, you need to get your expectations right and, and, and where they need to be. And, and why is that so important? Because Jesus never had, he never wanted anybody to die of a broken heart. Ever. And, and Jesus never had a disciple came to him. Not one person ever came to him and said, you lied to me, and you deceived me, and you led me astray, and you led me to believe something that wasn't true. It didn't happen the way you said. Jesus never had anybody say that, ever, because he always was a truth teller. He put it out there. And the truth is, Jesus is giving us, up front, the worst case scenario, but the reality actually is, if we follow Jesus, um, it, it's, it's indescribable how wonderful it is. It's indescribable. So he's saying, this is what I need you to do first in exchange. You don't understand. It's, it's indescribable joy. It's, it's abundant life. It's blessing. It's happy, happy, happy. But you can't know that until you do these things, until you count the, count the cost, until you carry your cross, until you put me above everything else. You won't know that. Are you tracking with me out there? He wants to make sure, this is his motivation, he wants to make sure no one dies of a broken heart. No one experiences uh, disappointment. And that's, did you know this? That's exactly what happens in the marriage vows. Marriage vows is a reality check. We come down the aisle to forsaking all others. I choose you. We come into the relationship, and the marriage vows are designed with this same idea in mind. To, to put somebody else above you, to, to lay down your life for somebody else, to count the cost, to, you know, uh, give all you have to another person. And that's why we say things like, for better, for worse, right? For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Why do we say that? Because there's going to be some worse, and there's going to be some sickness. Last week, everybody was sick. In my, well, not everybody, but everybody that would care was sick last week in our house. You know, that means the kids, they didn't care. No, my wife and I, we didn't feel so good, you know? And, 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 and what, what happens is a lot of people come down and they don't have that reality check. They come down to the altar and they think something completely different. It's like they're not paying attention. They're not aware of the realities that are before them. And, you know, people may think, well, that, that won't happen to me. I married him because he's rich. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to be happy, happy, happy. Can I, I can introduce you to some people who were wealthy and are wealthy, and they're not happy, happy, happy. Because money can be a trap for some people. Money's neutral, but the love of money can be a trap for many, many people. It can cause a lot of problems in your life. And so sometimes we think that's what's going to make us happy, and it does anything but make us happy. And, and, and some people just, you know, they just disagree, you know, and, and I get that, and that's okay with me. And, that, oh, that won't happen to me because, you know, I married my soulmate, you know, we met online, and we, we synced up in 3,000 categories. Okay. <laughs> what, what, what happens is we, we come down the aisle, we say our vows, but we are not really paying attention. I wasn't. I know I wasn't. I was saying I do so I could get mine. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was all about... Okay, you know what I mean? I'd been thinking about this for a while, you know what I'm saying? And, and I had all these ideas of what it was going to be like, and she had all her ideas of what it was going to be like, and those two things collided because they were different. <laughs> so I want to share with you three unchangeable realities that will help you in all relationships, but certainly in marriage, and, and spell it out for you a little bit, a little bit uh, more. 
Not, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to help Jesus out, but I'm trying to put it in terms that we can understand, okay? Are you getting something out of this so far? Okay, number one is this. We all have hurts from our past. We quirks, we talked about that last week, dirty canvases. Quirks in our personalities, no elbows right now, don't look at your spouse. Quirks in our personalities and ignorance concerning the opposite sex that only marriage will cure. And it will take years for the process to be completed, and there are no exceptions. It's so quiet. I love it. I love it. You're like, nobody wants to go, amen. Years of process. Forever. Marathon. Yeah. Happy, happy, happy. I get it, I get it, okay? If <laughs> we want to marry the perfect person, that's why we picked her or him. We thought they were, and then they weren't. And if you married the absolute perfect person, I'm just telling you, they're all messed up. And if they're perfect, they're not anymore because you married them. We're all messed up. You're messed up. I'm messed up. She's messed up. He's messed up. All God's people are messed up. Okay? It doesn't matter how good they look. It doesn't matter where they went to school, how much smell good they have on themselves. Everybody is messed up. Because, and because of this, this problem, there's a fear of marriage. That, and so people are raising their standards and not going into marriage. They're taking it slower. That's why we have way longer now. People are waiting, 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 waiting. You know, I've been waiting for a girl like you. you know, and so we're just... Looking, you know, there's just one out there in this ocean of six billion people, you know, seven, okay, whatever it is, but it's a lot of people. And so we just keep looking. And, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't prepare, and I am totally for preparation. I'm totally for readiness. I think you should pray about it. I think you should seek God about it. I think you need to be more concerned with their character than your chemistry. Amen. And I think we need to have other people that we trust to sign off on people. That's an old art that nobody's doing anymore. And I think we need to have similar beliefs. And I can go on all day about these things. But, but what happens is we're looking for Mr. Perfect. Women, you're looking for like Jesus Jr. And you're not going to find him. It's just not going to happen. Good luck, ladies. I'm just telling you, you might, you might think you have Prince Charming, but I'm just telling you, as soon as you cross that line, I do, you're going to find out that they have some bad habits, stinking breath and smelly feet, and that's all we can do in this service, but there's, there's a lot more than that, and men are looking for Stepford wives that just robotically do whatever they want and look like Pam Anderson, and, and I understand, meet you every woman, you're not going to find that person. Can you handle this reality check this morning? What, what I'm saying is, if you marry what looks like the perfect person, they're still messed up, and so are you. Because there are hurts from our past, and there are quirks in our personalities, and, and we brush our teeth weird or never at all, and we want... I've heard all kinds of stuff like that, you know what I mean? And there's just ignorance concerning the opposite sex, and only marriage can cure it over a long period of time. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. And so if you believe you're ready for marriage, and if you don't understand this reality, you're going to die of a broken heart. You might even be in a marriage and stay in it, but you died of a broken heart. But listen to this counterintuitive thought. Here's, here's, here's what I think God's design was, his perfect design was, is that marriage will heal us if we do it right. Oh, that's what he wanted and wants to do. He actually wants to heal us in marriage. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, <laughs> that's not happening in my marriage. Marriage is, and, and, and you're, you're fighting emotion. Marriage is my biggest pain. She, she, he, look it up in the dictionary, equal pain for me. And, and, and that may be so, but, it, but it's because you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. When we get married with the wrong mindset, with the wrong expectations, we wound and we hurt each other over and over and over again. But actually, if you understood the roles, the way God had designed them to be, your, your marriage is actually designed to heal each other. Let me explain. When you, when you do marriage God's way, I'm just trying to, hopefully it's coming through, you, you actually are the healer to your spouse. I didn't realize this. I, just, I actually thought it was just, I know we're not supposed to compete over our differences. I thought we're supposed to celebrate our differences. It's actually we're the cure for some of our differences. It's even higher than that. 
Men are called in Ephesians 5. It says, you can look it up on your own. It's, it's, a, it's a marriage chapter. It's parallel to church. But it says men are called, to, listen to this, to love their, their, the woman or the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Washing her in the water of the word and nourishing and cherishing her. The word of Christ there means anointed one. Jesus actually is anointed to meet all of our needs and make us whole. You can read a whole thing about John 4 where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. It's he, he, he's the one in relationship to meet our deepest need. And the Bible says similarly, men are called to be that to their wives. A husband's role when he marries her is to love her like Christ loved us and, 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 and meet their needs. We don't replace Jesus. We're simply his physical representation on the earth. My wife didn't marry her healer. My wife, I was her pain. And by his grace, you know, and, and he's, he's changed me and changing me still. John Eldridge, he wrote this book about, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's what little girls and little boys kind of need to hear from their parents when they were raised. And, and, and basically it says that girls need to hear that you're worth fighting for. You're worth fighting for. It's the principle of pursuit. And, and when Jesus died for us, his death proclaimed, you're worth fighting for. That's why I died for you, you know. And so when a man is loving his wife properly, he's modeling that same behavior on earth to his spouse. And when a man is loving his wife properly, he's communicating, you're worth everything to me. You are so valuable. You are worth giving my life for you. You're not a ball and chain. You're not a, uh, we joke about it, a life sentence. No, and so he's nourishing her and he's cherishing her. And, and this, this kind of love from husband to wife will heal her deepest, uh, fill and meet her deepest need, heal her insecurities, which is what women struggle with, and, and self-esteem issues and identity issues and, and fears. Those are all the common things of a female. And because of the way God designed man to be Christ anointed in her life, it heals her. And marriage is just a healing journey. And the longer, listen, the longer you're married, uh, I believe the more healed you become if you do it right. If you do it wrong, the more hurt you become. And that's why people eventually die of a broken heart. See it all the time. And the roles of marriage God's way are designed to heal each other. Check this out. Women in the word are called, uh, as far back as Genesis, is to be the helper. What's interesting about what the woman's called in Genesis is the same name for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So the man is to be like Christ. The woman is to be or have attributes of the Holy Spirit. Man has Christ attributes. The woman has Holy Spirit characteristics. Women have the nature of the Holy Spirit. Women are made in the image of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, it's to love their husbands and to honor them as they would the Lord. And a lot of men's wounds come because uh, at a deep level, they feel inadequate. They feel... Um, you know, insufficient, they feel insignificant, I guess would be an even better word than that. And in John Eldridge's book, he says that um, uh, men need to hear that at, at, at a root level, they need to hear you're a good man. They need to hear, I believe in you. This is a big one. More than vision, a man needs to hear, I believe in you. You got what it takes. You may not be showing it, but we don't say that, ladies. You say, you got what it takes. That's what a man needs to hear. I believe in you. And when honoring woman enters into a man's world and honors and speaks life to him, she's literally the Holy Spirit's representative to him. Oh, I don't know if you're getting this, but she becomes his healer. And I'm not saying you won't have problems, and I'm not saying you're supposed to ignore those problems, but this is how we stay in love. This is how we grow in love. This is how we get better and better and become more and more whole as we go forward. And a lot of people um, haven't experienced this, and I get that. And so, and a lot of it's because we came into the wedding ceremony, we came down the aisle, and we thought it was just like a magical operating room. You know, and, and that would just fix all those problems right there at the, at, the, at, the, at the finish line, at the starting line is really what it was. And instead, it was a registration desk to the hospital. <laughs> you, and and you, you came in, you thought you had problems, but as soon as you crossed that line, now you know you got problems. I, I find it uncanny how attentive people are post-marriage in counseling and how inattentive they are pre-marriage to counseling. Pre-marriage are sitting on each other's lap and they're just touching each other's face and they're, 
humming little songs. They're not even paying attention and they're giggling. They don't have a place to live. They don't have a job. They don't even know how they're going to get out of the counseling appointment because they only have one car and they're not sure it's going to make it. And after they have all that other stuff, but they want to kill each other, they're at opposite corners, they need a referee with a black and white shirt just to get through the session. They know they have problems. But why do some marriages grow in love and, and others grow in contempt? Put this in your notes. Some have a consumer mentality and some have a gardener mentality. A consumer mentality says this, I bought it, I paid for it, I want it to work. And it's, it's not right. And it doesn't work. if it doesn't work, I'm going to take it back and I'm going to get another one. In fact, when I bought it, I think they, they tricked me. They did something with the lights and they made her look a certain way. And now the lighting's different. I want another one. And they, they, they tricked me. And, and now you realize you're broke and you can't even exchange it and there's no receipt. And, and, uh, but the gardener mentality, it says this. It says there's something wrong with the tree out there. And you look out and you, and you see the tree is not functioning and growing and fruitful. And it, it's not producing fruit the way it's supposed to. It's not growing the way it should. And so the gardener says, I need to water that. It needs more water. I guess I need to fertilize it. I guess there's some weeding we need to do, which is really some tough conversations. And listen, if you're suffering in your marriage, this is important for you to know. Here's a reality check. You are not a helpless victim. You are not a helpless victim. You just got to wait and... No, there's something you can do about it. You need to understand your role. If you're a woman, you have the attributes of the Holy Spirit. And there are certain characteristics, and some of this we can unpack maybe in, in a couple of weeks, but just getting you to see some of those attributes a little bit more closely. But you, or you can stand back and just be a consumer and keep complaining about the broken parts that you received. Or you can stand up and you can go water it, and you can fertilize it, and you can prune it. Say, Pastor, I love how this hurts. <laughs> I thank God I have a wife who became a gardener who in my worst days you know, waters my soul, and, and it's how I changed. I remember her pastor, uh, Bruce Terry from um, Liberty Church in Alabama. We were going through a very hard time. There were two major attempts to destroy our marriage in, in our 22 years of marriage, and one of them we went to uh, Pastor Bruce, and, and Stacy was just up to here with me, just up to here with my selfishness and a whole bunch of other stuff underneath that that I can't share with you. And, and um, Bruce said, you know what? You can, you can keep fighting with him. Or you can fight for him. You're going to die of a broken heart, Stacey, if you don't start fighting for him. You need to start watering your relationship. And in essence, she told him, you know, you have the attributes of the Holy Spirit. You need to start acting like that. You need to start speaking life over him. You need to start honoring him. If you speak life to him, then the leadership in him will rise. If you don't, it will just continue to go down. And she began to love and honor me, and I began to heal. And it didn't mean that she didn't tell me the truth, because that sister can tell the truth. <laughs> Sometimes I would like to turn it off. Let me just tell you that right now. Holy cow. But she began to do it in a healing way. And, and my wife has done more to heal me than anyone I know on the planet. And, I, and, I, and anyway, let's honor my wife. She's not here, but I love my wife. <laughs> but, but we aren't perfect, but I'm just saying his way works. And if you are a consumer... It will make you uh, a mess, and if you're a gardener, it, it will change you. And more people spend tons of time and money and energy on an event and not on the relationship because they don't have realistic, realistic expectations about the relationship, but it's amazing how realistic the expectations they have on the event. And, and I talked to a, a photographer not too long ago, and he said he was talking about how much the, the, the amounts of money that people are spending on one day have begun to rise. And I quoted a number of like $30,000, which I thought was about the average for a wedding. He says it's way higher than that, Pastor, way higher than that. And he says, listen to this, Pastor, more and more, by the time I deliver the pictures, the marriage is over. People are spending more and more money in the wrong places, and they need a reality check. And so I have a solution. My solution is called a reality wedding. This is just kind of a creative idea, but you probably won't do this, but, it, but this is what it would look like. You go to counseling, uh, not for the purpose of fixing everything because we're so messed up it will take too long, but you go to counseling, all right, with this in mind. It's for the purpose of... Uh, just describing or, or, or displaying how messed up we are. And then before the wedding, we dress according to how messed up we are. So we dress up 
according to how messed up we are for the wedding. And so the average couple would look something like this. The groom comes in, and um, he's done the outside counseling. Uh, he's had an assessment. His family's had an assessment, and there are major problems. There's addictions that have surfaced. There's financial problems. There's serious family schisms and division. And, and so she needs to know. And so this is a reality wedding. So she needs to know. And so uh, he doesn't wear a tuxedo. He wears a military uniform. And what they do is we just spray blood all over him, okay? Just make him all bloody, and we break his leg just for effect, okay? All right? And then all the family, they're in the front row in military uniforms, blood all over him. Some of them are in gurneys and, you know, and just strapped up and stuff like that. So she needs to know what she's getting into. And so the wife, she comes in, she trusts accordingly too because he needs to know what he's getting into. And so she, the bride, she doesn't, she doesn't wear a wedding dress. No, she doesn't wear a wedding dress at all. She comes in a hospital gown. All right, and there's no train behind her, just gauze, gauze, all the way back. It's wrapped on her head, it's just gauze, and, and she's coming down with an IV, you know what I mean? And, 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 no, and no makeup, ladies, no makeup, because this is a reality wedding. You guys don't even get how funny this is. This, this is a reality check. So you imagine the guy, military uniform, broken leg, blood all over him, girls, she's got gauze all over her head, no makeup. She's got an IV, and they're standing there getting ready to make their vows, all right? Now, you may not do that. Oh, by the way, the pastor, he's dressed like a terrorist. And he carries a gun. And if anyone gets happy, 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 he shoots them to make sure the mood is actually right for the wedding. All right, I know you won't do that, so here's my plan B, okay? Plan B is this. We dress up nice and deceive our spouse <laughs> and use these vows for our reality wedding. So here's some reality vows that we could use. Here's what it could look like. I do solemnly swear to take you as my lifelong patient to bandage and to medicate you as long as we both shall live. I will love you for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, or just in sickness because it's clear you are one sick puppy. And I don't see you getting well anytime soon, but I'm hoping for some improvement right now. I realize that the pretty clothes you are wearing right now are rented and will be returned shortly. You will probably never look this good again. And that is why we're taking so many pictures to preserve this rare, extremely rare moment. I also understand that reality is waiting for me at a hotel room where tomorrow your morning breath will announce the dawn of a new life journey together and the harsh morning light will reveal the real you. In spite of all this, I will love you with all my heart and wholly commit myself to this marriage until death do us part. So help me God, because I'm going to need all the help I can get. That's reality. Amen? Amen? So the number one reason is disappointment. We need a reality check. Number two, an unchangeable reality. Without an understanding of, of the reality, point number one, and a strong commitment to the marriage, every significant problem threatens the marriage. If you don't have, in other words, a reality check, if you don't have good biblical skills with clear expectations, then you're going to see problems come into your life, and it threatens the marriage completely. When we get married and something bad happens because, because our heart is broken and expectations are skewed. And then when we need our spouse the most, we give it the least amount of support and attention. You know why? Because we have, this is another thing, another little nugget, because we have a renters versus owners mentality. Renter versus an owner. Let me explain what I mean by that. Every house has problems. How many people own a home or live in a home? <laughs> Okay, all right, it's the same with marriage. Look at marriage like a house. If you're living in a house that, say, costs um, $100,000 or something like that, and you're renting it for $1,000 a month, and your landlord comes over the house and he tells you that the house has foundation problems, the walls, the ceiling, the roof, the floor, whatever, and it needs repair, and it's going to cost $50,000 to, to fix these things, uh, and you're going to have to pay for it if you want to stay, otherwise you're going to have to get out. Because you're a renter, you're going to do what? You're going to get out. I'm not going to pay $50,000 as a renter for something like this. No one would pay that much money for something like this. It's too expensive. It's too much. You just kind of move on. If your parents, however, left you a home as an inheritance, and you planned on staying there the rest of your days, and, and it happens that something similar to what I just described happens, your response would be completely different. I don't like it, but it doesn't matter. I don't want to pay all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to figure it out. I'll fix it. And if it takes the rest of my days, Amen. I'll fix it. 
And some who get married with a renter's mentality, they don't make it. And when you start having problems, you think, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I didn't know she was like this. I didn't know he was like this. I've calculated his name. It's 666. I don't know if I can take it. And when the marriage needs, again, as a result, when the marriage needs you the most, you give it the least because you're a renter and you're not an owner. And renters say, I don't know if I can pay the price. And an owner says, I'll pay whatever it costs. I'll pay it. It's different. We need to be owners, not renters. I'm, in the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an owner. I'm in the marriage till death do us part. I, you know, I, I, divorce is not an option. Murder, maybe, but divorce is not an option. Okay? And, and this, this covenant, it changes everything. My dad, I have this as a, as, a, as a vivid memory scored on my conscience. Many of you heard me talk about this before. I call it the Galaxy 500 story. But my, my mother had a Ford Galaxy 500 Army Green. It was a beast of a car. And I can remember my, my dad and mom had a lot of problems, a lot of strife, a lot of schism, a lot of fighting. I grew up in a very um, abusive environment. And my dad's a changed man, transformed by Jesus Christ. I don't think anything can transform somebody from who, a rageaholic. I don't think it's possible without Jesus, in my personal opinion. I've never met anybody that was transformed or changed without Jesus. Maybe band-aided the issue or drugged the issue, but I've never seen anybody truly cured by it. But, but they had problems. And my mother had, my mother had certain rights or justifications for leaving, but she was done. She came in. I remember she talked to me. My sister can't remember this because she was not of age. And my mom told me that she was going to be leaving. I'm just, I can remember just being like an eight- or nine-year-old boy just processing my mom walking out, bags packed, car, everything. And I remember standing at the door downstairs in 23 Duggan Drive, holding my sister's hand, just standing in the door, watching my mom, you know, yelling at my dad to, to get out of the way, revving the car. And my dad is at the back of the car, sprawled like he was going to be arrested, pushing the car, saying, you're going to have to run me over, Randa, but I will not give up on you or this marriage. You cannot leave. And I'm not saying that's what you should do. You might get killed. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. It just came out. <laughs> I'm just saying it is, it is an illustration of an owner and what it takes. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. They still have their bumps and bruises. They're light years from where they were, you know, all those years ago. But if it wasn't sometimes for seeing that or believing that, and, 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 and you have people in your life. They may not be your family, but you, God is putting people in your life who have a stay principle that they live by. God has put people in your life who have survived. I just read an awesome testimony. I'll maybe share it next week from Doug and Linda Terrio, who are right here. 41 years married. 41 years, right? Raise your hand. 41 years married. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. They had some tests, okay? 41 years, but they stayed. And they can tell you a bunch of incredible testimonies because they stayed through it, you know, where one of them had to stay at the back of the car, and another time, another one might have had to stay at the back of the car. And, and you have examples in your life, and you can't be, you don't have to be a victim anymore and just say, you know, I, I didn't have that. My parents gave up. My parents quit. You know, all that kind of stuff. You have people that God's put in your life, and you need to follow, and you need to listen to them. Look, look and learn from them. Amen? There was this book called Good to Great. I recommend it for everybody to read, but there's the story about this guy named Adam, Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was the highest-ranking officer, and he was taken captive during the Vietnam War from 1965 to 1973. He was actually tortured 20 times over an eight-year period, and his job was to keep his men alive during that particular time. And there's a whole bunch of this story that's pretty incredible, but he said, I basically, he basically said, I never lost faith and believed that in the end, this situation would be a defining part of my life. And when he asked, you know, how did he make it, you know, how did he keep people alive? And he said, well, the optimists, uh, they thought we were, they were always saying, we'll be out by Christmas or we'll be out by Easter. And then they'd say the next Christmas and then the next Easter. And they, they kept telling that and eventually said they died of a broken heart. They died of a broken heart. They didn't, they died physically, but they, a lot of them died initially of a broken heart. And so he told everyone in his charge, he, he, he gave them realistic expectations. He gave them a reality check. He said, guys, we're not getting out by Christmas, but we are going to get out. 
And he embraced their present reality. He embraced the reality, and he still believed for better. And the others, again, they died. And sometimes that's what happens in our marriages. We have these, and I think this is in your notes, but we have, some of us are naive optimists, you know? I found my soulmate, and these people, they just think chemistry will keep them alive. Good luck. <laughs> Praise God, Pastor. Then you have the hopeless, the hopeless pessimists. These people have problems, family problems, family issues, individual life issues, bad choices, all kinds of circumstances oppose them, and, and, and they just doubt. They just doubt it can work. They're just pessimists. You know what, Jesus... You know, he cannot work in a place of unbelief. You have to have faith. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to have faith. If you don't believe it will work, guess what? It won't work. It won't. And then you have your triumphant realists. These are the people who succeed. They overcome evil by focusing on good, Romans 12, 21. Sometimes you replace bad habits with good habits. You overcome evil with good. And these people say, we're not going to get there by Christmas, but we're going to make it. And some of you, if you had some reality checks on your relationship when you came in and you were aware of sort of the dirty canvas issues that were there and somebody helped you see that and if you, didn't, if you don't know what those things are, then get some help. So it's, I, I can help you with that. I'm doing it right now. But you need to get some people that can say, hey, you know, there's some stuff under the hood there. You might need to talk to somebody to figure out what's going on. But based on those things, it doesn't mean it can't work because you have a 100% chance of success if both people are willing to do it God's way. That's a fact. But the reality is you might not get there by Christmas, but you can get there, amen? And so when your brain is strapped on and your heart is open and you have realistic expectations and you don't quit, you're dedicated to the fight, not to fight each other. You can make it. Next unchangeable reality, my last point is this, and not to be minimized, though it gets the least amount of material, is Satan hates marriage, and every couple will come under spiritual attack. Every single couple that's a Christian or a Christ follower will come under spiritual attack, and we must fight for our marriages against the true enemy and not our spouse to survive and to succeed. We must recognize we have an enemy, amen? The day will come... Uh, you know, listen, the day you actually become a Christian, you enter into a war against the devil. You may not like it. It's true. The devil hates Christians. He wants to destroy our testimony because he knows that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So he's always trying to destroy our testimony. So he is strategic. He has got snipers and he has got plots and schemes to destroy your marriage. And we're just kind of going along, kind of cruising along, not paying attention sometimes to what he's up to. Marriage is awesome. Is awesome. It's the most wonderful thing on earth, but the devil comes to every wedding. And, and again, I told you this, I believe the devil tried to destroy my marriage all out of salt more than once. And if it wasn't for my wife and just staying in good counsel and some Christian constitutions, uh, we'd be destroyed. And none of this would be here right now. And I'm just, I'm not here to brag, but hundreds and hundreds of people whose marriages have been affected by Stacey and I would not be affected if we didn't realize that we were under a spiritual attack. It's a big deal. Would you stand on your feet? Let me pray for you. Because we're going to go on assault. We're going to go on the offensive. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I realize that I was kind of being strong, but I think that's what Jesus would want. I think, he would, I think he, wants, he would want me to tell you the truth. Marriage is tough. It's hard work. It can be the best thing ever. It can be the worst pain in your life the worst pain in your life. Relationships are tough. They take work. If you're not married, you need to get ready. Take advantage of this time. It's like being single and living at home with your parents. I'm not thinking about anybody in particular over here. It's like that. It's, it's a great opportunity because the responsibilities are a little bit lower. The weight's a little bit lower, right? So you can do a lot more and, and prepare you for the future, right? So if you're single, this is a great opportunity. You need to work on you. You need to get whole. That magnetizes the right person, okay? We'll talk about that coming up. If you're divorced, what? Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? What am I supposed to be learning? I hope that you, like, become a student of the subject of marriage. God wants to heal you, and he wants you to be a healer in your next relationship. And if you're in one, there's still hope because you're still in it. You're still in it. 
and you need to understand your role. Let me pray for you. Well, just close your eyes. If you're here today and, and you're within the sound of my voice, either you know online or just here in person, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to people in this room, all over this room. There are, there are pains, there are peculiarities, there are personalities, there are all kinds of things, and they seem irreconcilable, which is the number one deception in America today, irreconcilable differences. God wants to make those differences your strength. God wants to turn all those things around and work them together for good to them that love God, are surrendered to God, that are willing to uh, count the cost, that are willing to carry their cross, that are willing to walk into the relationship and see, okay, this is, there's a bigger picture here and I need to have a reality check. I need to love God and be surrendered to God more than anything else in this life. And if people will fire up their relationship with God, if people will realize that there is a cross to carry, people will realize that there's a cost to really be successful. I'm going to pour out such blessing and such happiness on your relationships. You can't even possibly imagine it. I pray God for a revelation for people in this room where they are not fully surrendered to God, that they would surrender everything they have to Jesus Christ, to his lordship, not just to his benefits, but to his lordship. If you're here and you're not totally surrendered to God and you know you need to be, you're, you're a Christian, you call, you've called upon the name of the Lord, you're confident that if you drew your last breath, you'd be in the presence of God. But while you live here right now, you know you're not fully surrendered. Let me just tell you something, sir, man, boy, or girl, your relationships will not work until you are wholly surrendered. And if you know that God is speaking to you about total surrender, I want you to raise your hand boldly and say, please pray for me. I'm, I'm ready to give it all. I'm ready to surrender it all. I'm ready to carry that cross. I'm going to count that, count that cost. I'm willing to put him in the first position. Come on, don't be bold. Just, if you can't put your hand up for 30 seconds, I don't think God can hold your hand up when you're going through hell. Jesus, I pray for every person that within the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage them where they are, that they get a revelation that, that it starts with me, not with him or her or someone else. It starts with me. I pray for a consecrated, dedicated, fully committed, fully devoted Christ follower. You spoke truth, Jesus, to us through Luke 14. You spoke, and that same truth is available to us today, and I pray that truth would be found in the inner parts and that it would manifest in the outer parts of our life, in all our relationships circumstantially and, re and, and relationally because we have received something revelationally in Jesus' name. Every person, Lord, just surrender, surrender, surrender to the, to the hand and to the voice of God in Jesus' name. And if you're here today, you can put your hand out. If, you, if you're here today and you've, you've, you haven't made that commitment or connection to Jesus, and there's something that happened, and it, it, a lot of this stuff kind of went maybe over your head and you don't get it all, but you want to connect to Jesus personally, you want to make sure that, it, it, that you're okay with him vertically, and you want to experience the grace that you need, because that's what Jesus does. He, he doesn't say, get it all worked out and then come to me. Get it all fixed and cleaned up. And then I'll have you. No, he'll have you right now the way you are in all your mess. In fact, the mess that you're experiencing in your life in the here and now, he wants to make your message. But for that to happen, you have to invite him into your mess and call upon the name of the Lord that you'd be saved. Anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know you want to do that and you've never done that. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. Boldly just say, that's me. I want to, I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. I want to be saved today. And I want to leave today without knowing Christ is my Lord and Savior. Is there one that says that's me? God bless you. God bless you. There's two. Is there anybody else that says that's me? Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Church, would you pray this prayer with me as we begin to wrap up this service? Just say this. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you saved me. What you did 2,000 years ago was personal for me. I reflect, I remember, and I receive your grace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the place. As Vanessa comes.